Today's reading is taken from Galatians chapter four, verses twenty-one to thirty-one, and is on page seven hundred ninety-eight on the Church Bible. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, "Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor." Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share. In inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. So, it's a difficult text. So, if you can have your Bibles open as we go through it, I'm sure it'll help you as we go through it. Let's pray that God will speak to us through this text. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, and we pray now that you will speak to us and reveal what's in our hearts, that we might be conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alexander Pope is credited for saying, "Half knowledge or little knowledge is dangerous." When we know nothing about a subject, we might just say, "I actually don't know." I, you, you, you're forced to be humble, and you have to say, "I don't know what's going on." But when you have a little bit of knowledge, that knowledge might puff you up just enough so that it, 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 you have this、uh, sense that you know more、uh, than you actually do. This is, if you have a teenager, this is the reason why a 16-year-old, even though when he knows little, thinks that he knows everything. Um, and this is also the reason why I have the strongest opinion about things that I know very little about, rather than things that I know everything about. Well, the Galatians, I think, were about to make the similar mistake of knowing a little, but thinking that they know everything. And remember, they were listening to the Judaizers and making the mistake of adding law to the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul sees the danger there, and so he take a look at what he says in verse twenty-one. He says, "Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says?" 
See, half knowledge is dangerous. He's saying that, look, you want to be under the law, but if you want to be under the law, you need to know the whole truth about the law. So let me tell you what's in the law, what's in the book of, uh, book of Genesis, what's in, at, at the right, at the heart of the law. So he begins to tell them a story of uh, Abraham. And although the story is familiar to many of you, uh, some, uh, since some might need a refreshing, so uh, let me tell you a little bit uh, uh, quickly uh, what that uh, story is like. Um, uh, let me summarize that story that's told in Genesis 16 through 21. So, remember, Abraham was called uh, to go uh, in Genesis chapter 2, and God, uh, God promises them um, that he will become a great nation. He'll become a great name that all nations will be blessed through him. And he renews that promise in Genesis chapter 15 in, a, in the most spectacular fashion. But in chapter 16, uh, at the age of 85, Abraham is still childless. He doesn't have any children. So Abraham's wife, Sarah, does something that to us seems wrong, um, but in, the, in those days were acceptable. She offers her maidservant, Hagar, uh, to Abraham so that he could sleep with her and have a child. And this cultural practice was uh, instituted so that the line, that the male line could continue, go on. So Abraham does this. So he sleeps with Hagar, and they bear a child named Ishmael. Of course, that's not what God had intended for Abraham and Sarah. Soon three mysterious visitors come and visit Abraham. And Sarah, and tells them that it is they, Abraham and Sarah, that, that they will have a child uh, in Genesis 18. So Sarah, as she's listening to this, she's so far past menopause that she starts laughing. But in Genesis 21, God fulfills that promise. Sarah bears a child, and they name him Isaac, which means laughter. You can see how a problem uh, might develop out of this situation, can't you? You might go, what happens to Ishmael? What happens to uh, Hagar's son, Ishmael? Who's going to be the one who inherits? Who's going to be the heir now that Isaac is born? And at one point in chapter 21, Ishmael, the elder son, mocks Isaac. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but apparently in Hebrew, it's Ishmael, isaac Isaac. So he's pretending to be Isaac. He wants to be Isaac. He wants to be the heir. So Sarah, the mother of Isaac, asks Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and the son, for the slave woman's son will never share, uh, will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. And although Abraham is very much conflicted what to do, because Ishmael still is his son, and she, he knows that this is an unfair thing to do, uh, he's very much conflicted until God appears to him and says, look, I'll take care of Ishmael as well, and he, he will be a great nation. And so Abraham lets them go. So that's the story that's being referred to here in Galatians chapter 4. And I know, actually, before we get into what the story is about, because I know that this story raises many questions in your minds, let me try to answer some of those questions before we go get into the meaning of the story. The first question that you might ask is, well, isn't this wrong what Abraham did? Um, this sex outside of marriage. I mean, why is it that Abraham is allowed to sleep with Hagar? You might be asking, is the Bible condoning such a practice? The short answer is no. 
The Bible is not condoning such a practice. When the scripture explicitly teaches about marriage, it's always between a man, uh, 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 the husband, and wife within marriage. But the Bible is also uh, 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 revealed to real people in real culture of the day. And 3,000 years ago, this was an acceptable practice. Right? So God is revealing himself to the real people of the day who had this practice. This doesn't mean that the Bible itself is condoning the practice. So the answer to that question is no. And I also know that many of you, as you hear this story, feel very much sympathetic to, towards Hagar. Because Hagar seems so mistreated and you really dislike the way that Hagar has been treated. And um, you might also ask, once again, is the Bible condoning what happened to Hagar? The answer, once again, is no. Uh, You can tell that the answer is no because, one, as you read it, you think, this is really unfair. And that's the right response. And when Abraham first heard this request from, um, from Sarah, he was really conflicted because he knows that this is not a good thing to do. Abraham only sends them away when God promises that Hagar and Ishmael would become a great nation. And what this actually says is that God cares for the marginalized. God cares for the uh, people who are weak. God knew that Ishmael and Hagar, if they were in the same family, if they stayed in the same family, would be mistreated. It wouldn't be fair to them. And so God then sends them away, but then says he will become a great nation. It, It shows that God actually cares for the, the weak and the marginalized. And one last question before we get into the, the story itself. Um, in verse 24, um, Paul writes that these things are to be taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. Once again, uh, the, this is difficult, but you might go, well, can other stories in the Old Testament, uh, can they be also taken figuratively? Um, can we, as we read the Old Testament, can we start reading the Old Testament and saying, actually, the surface story is this, but the deeper spiritual meaning is something else? Are we to read deeper spiritual meaning to historical events? The answer to that question is, it's complicated. <laughs> this is not as simple as a yes or no answer there. For the most part, the rule of thumb is that we shouldn't take uh, uh, things figuratively and um, read into the story that's not quite there because that is the danger that we might start interpreting the Old Testament and say actually this is all about this when actually it might not be that. The rule of thumb is we should ask what did the original audience, uh, what did the original uh, author write uh, and how did the original audience understand that text and from there we discern what does that mean for us rather than trying to read into the story a deeper meaning there, because we're prone to read our lives into the story, aren't we? Actually, um, so the rule of thumb is don't do this. Um, don't do it um, as a general rule. But for, and for now, I mean, there are... Um, where uh, times when this is warranted, actually we should do this because there are types of Christ uh, in the Old Testament and the, all of the Old Testament does indeed point towards Christ and that is absolutely true. But it is just hard. So can I just say once um, here, uh, in this case, Paul's doing it because Paul is different from you and I. Uh, he's an apostle of Christ inspired by God and he is able to see something that we might not be able to see. 
And secondly, Paul knows his Bible really well. Paul knows the Old Testament and now as he's writing the New Testament, he knows the story of the Bible so well that he is able to connect uh, these things. And I think for us, um, we should uh, be very careful as we read the Old Testament and how to interpret the Old Testament. So uh, let me just uh, start with those, all those warnings and questions. Um, but let me now go into the text. So what is this all about? Well, let's see once again the context, what the half-truths uh, that Judaizers were preaching was. The Judaizers came to the Galatians and were saying, it's great that you have come to know Jesus. It's great that you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's great that even the Gentiles could now become Christian. But they were also saying that being a Christian means that they also had to become children of Abraham. Because that's what the, the line continues. The promise made to Abraham continues through Christ. So they were. They asked the Gentile Christians um, that uh, uh, that they also had to become uh, children of Abraham. So they asked the Gentile Christians to be circumcised, just as Abraham was circumcised, and to observe the the Jewish customs and the law, because now that they had become children of Abraham, they should they should behave like children of of, of Abraham. Well, Paul's saying that that's only the half picture. Yes, there's some truth there, but know the whole story, he's saying. The full picture is that Abraham had two sons, not just one, two sons with two mothers. And he takes these two historical figures to mean to stand for two covenants. He's reading them allegorically. The two women stand for the old covenant and the new covenant. And he lays out the difference very clearly in this text. The child of Hagar, are born according to the flesh, verse 22, stands for the Mount Sinai where the law was uh, given the co- and corresponds to the earthly city of Jerusalem, verse 25. And in a way, this is an easy comparison to make the Judaizers to uh, Hagar because Hagar, he made the case in chapters 3 and 4 that Judaizers, people who obey the law, are slaves. And Hagar, of course, is a slave woman. On the other hand, there's the other son born of free woman. By divine promise corresponds to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And Paul says that she is our mother, verse 26. Paul talked about these true Christians as well in the previous chapters, 3 and 4. The people whose father, um, uh, people whose father is Abraham because Abraham is father of those who had faith. Faith, not works. People who became adopted as children and heirs of God, not through their own merit, merit, but through their own, own obedience to the law, but because of the fulfillment of God's promise made to Abraham in Christ Jesus. And I think here's the crucial difference that you have to uh, get in order to understand the story. The crucial difference is in the origin of how these two men were born. It's not just that Hagar was a slave woman and Sarah a free woman that makes this comparison uh, uh, apt. It's that Hagar's son, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, verse 23. Remember, although Abraham and Sarah were promised a child, they don't wait to, for God to give one to them. They had their child in the natural way because they just thought that it wasn't possible. And so they scheme. They use their own effort and schemes in order to bring about fulfillment to the promise. 
This is why they can stand for the Judaizers, because remember what Judaizers are saying, yes, it's great that God made you this promise and that you are now a child of God, but you also have to add to this by obedience. But through your obedience, you have to add your own effort to the promise that God has given you. That's what the Judaizers are saying, and that's exactly how Hagar was uh, able to have uh, a child Ishmael. On On the other hand, Isaac was a result of divine promise, what Abraham and Sarah could not do on their own. God accomplished them with his own power and might. He gave Abraham and Sarah Isaac. And Paul has been saying that this is how the gospel works. We don't become God's children by our own efforts, but by trusting in God alone and in his provision. We become God's children through God's Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and enabled this adoption to be God's heir. This is what it means that the heavenly Jerusalem is our mother. Because heavenly Jerusalem is a city that God built for us. God, we didn't contribute at all to the building of this city. It, it is built by God. And in Revelation 21, it comes down by the act of God. It's not something that we have contributed. It's God's gift to us. And that's the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, even though we don't have to contribute, we, don't, we haven't contributed anything to it, it's given to us freely. So Paul quotes Isaiah 54, verse 1, in verse 27 in our text. Be glad, barren women, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were, who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. The historical context for this is that Isaiah is talking to people who are in exile, women who are in exile, who just, they, they did not think that they could have children because they were driven out of their homes, um, they were outside of the promised land, and God is saying, look, I will bring you back. This desolate woman, a barren woman, you will have children more than the people who had children in the natural way. God will provide, is what he's saying. This is why he's quoting Isaiah 54.1. That those who trust in the grace, God's power through grace in Jesus Christ, become the children of God. And if you think about it, Paul is making this argument in the most insulting way to the Jews, uh, Jewish Christians. You see, once again, Judaizers were saying that they were the children, true children of Abraham, true inheritors of what God promised to Abraham. And Paul is turning this around. He's saying that even though you might look like children of Abraham with all your circumcision and obedience to the Jewish customs, um, uh, the the cleanly laws, or all, all those things, even though you might even be related to Abraham by blood, if you do not rely on Christ, you're not a true child. You're a slave, children of the slave woman. You're not heirs of God. He's saying that even though you have all these things, you are not children of, 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 of Abraham. In fact, you're only slaves. And just so you know, um, this isn't something that uh, Paul just came up with on his own. Do you remember John the Baptist? Um, what John the Baptist said to all the Jews who came to him as he's baptizing them, he says he turned to them and said, do you not think that you can say, uh, do, not, uh, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. He's saying, this is how he's prepared the way for Jesus, right? He's saying that it's not enough for you to be a a, a Jew, a a law-observing Jew. You actually have to be reborn. Jesus said the same in John chapter 8. Remember, when he says, truth will set you free, he's talking to the Jewish believers. Truth will set you free. When he said that, the Jewish people respond by saying, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? What Jesus is saying is, look, you are slaves that need to be freed through knowing the truth in me. So Paul says, now you have become children and heirs. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. It's, Paul's not being mean to Hagar here. He's speaking figuratively and allegorically. And he's saying that now that the new has come, new covenant has come, do not act like slave people, people who are bound to the law in this way. Get rid of this, the mindset of, of law, um, slavery to the law. Rely only on the grace of Jesus Christ because new covenant has come. Be free is what he's saying. We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman, he says. But once again, uh, Paul's been going on about this for a while, and we once again have to ask ourselves, why is it so difficult for us to believe in this and act like children of God, not slaves? Why is it so difficult for us? I think one difficulty, perhaps, is just that the outward appearance this is how we judge ourselves and how we judge others. Outward appearance does, does not always match the inward reality. We're, and we are trying to simply match them. Um, this is a picture that I found um, that, that I think shows us the outward and healthy and fertile women, um, sort of women of verse 27, are like the Judaizers, Hagar. And you can see why. In the first century, a Christian who believed in Jesus but who was also circumcised, who also obeyed the law, who also might even have been related to Abraham, they might look, they might have looked like true Christians, right? People who did all these things, who had all these other things as well as faith in Christ, they might have looked like true Christians. They looked like Hagar, one who could bring God's promise into fruition. But the irony is that those who seem most like Christian, in fact, were not, because they relied on their outward observance to the law. Those who seemed most like heirs of the promise to Abraham were indeed only slaves. And Gentiles who were clueless to all of these, they ate impure foods who weren't circumcised, who mingled daily with pagans, were in fact most Christian, because they had faith in Christ. And this is a, a mindset that I think we fall into quite often. We seem to believe that being a successful Christian means, um, being a Christian is a, a successful Christian is basically up to us, to our commitment, to our discipline, to our zeal, with some occasional help from God. We say that grace is all that we need, but our motto day-to-day is God will help those who help themselves. So we go on helping ourselves, and we occasionally ask God to help us. 
You see, half knowledge is dangerous. We have to understand the whole Bible, including the Old Testament, actually pointed forward to the grace. It was always about grace. Abraham, as Paul has told us already in chapter 3, Abraham was credited righteousness as righteousness when he believed, not when he obeyed the law. Abraham had two sons, one who was the result of Abraham and Sarah's own effort, and one the product of the promise made um, to them. It came through God's grace. Even think about the condition in which the law itself was given. Israel was delivered out of Egypt, not because they obeyed the law, but because God's promise made to Abraham, God brings them out of Egypt, and then the law is given. Grace came first. The law foretold also of the Messiah's coming, even from the very beginning, for it knew that relying on the law wasn't enough. It had always looked forward to the law's fulfillment in Jesus Christ in every way. Half-knowledge is dangerous. The law is supposed to lead us to the Christ. But once again, trusting is hard um, because also look at what the law and the Bible uh, compares us to in this text. It identifies us with Sarah, a barren woman who couldn't have a child on her own. When you look at Sarah in this picture, she's, she's barren. She, she's not, she doesn't look like the person who should bring the, the, into fruition God's promise. And it's those who recognize, the gospel is, it's those who recognize that they are barren, who need to hold on to the promise of God because they cannot do it by themselves, become heirs to God's promise. It's those who realize that they are sinners, people who cannot on their own become heirs to God's kingdom. They are freed and adopted as children of God. One author put it this way, We're reminded that sin enslaves by making us big. The gospel frees us by making us small. Our self-esteem culture would have us believe the bigger we become, the freer we will be. But the gospel turns that on its head. The smaller we become, freer we will be. We begin to decrease, and Christ begins to increase. We're constantly, we constantly fall into the temptation that if we believe and do all these things, bigger we will be and freer we will be. But what we end up doing is that these rules that we have set up for ourselves, we become slaves to them. We become as big as our obedience to them. In fact, our work enslaves us to them. But when we recognize that we are desolate women, that we cannot do this on our own. That God has made this promise, and God has fulfilled this promise in Christ Jesus, and that when we trust in that promise, in the tr- it, it, when we trust in the work of Christ that has been done for us, yes, we do decrease, but Christ increases in us, and we are freed. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your Son, Jesus, who has accomplished the law for us, that through him we are adopted as children and heirs of your kingdom. 
And we pray for the rest of our lives that we will remember that we are children of Sarah, that we are children of the promise and not of works, that we might live for you joyfully, that we might become more and more like your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.